Welcome everybody to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always joined by my co-host Jake Miller. And Jake, we are heading into week 14 of the NFL season. How are we feeling so far? You know, pretty good. A lot of games this past week were up and down. Uh, most of our picks were good. You could have went 4-1 and one and I could have went 1-4 and four if it wasn't for three plays, I think is what we were talking about. But at the end of the day, because those three plays happened, I went four and one and you went one and four with our picks. Yeah, the margins have been so close in these last few weeks where you have teams that we didn't really expect much from, like the Colts, who are playoff teams if the season ended today, which is just absolutely wild. And Jake, that's where we're going to start things off with our Eyes on 5 recap. And we are going to start with your first game. Indianapolis taking on Tennessee and the Colts coming away with the win in Nashville, 31 to 28. Jake, what were your thoughts on this game? You know, Gardner Mitchell played a solid game. He wasn't overly accurate, but 26 for 42. So you're talking barely above a 60% completion rating, right around 62, 63, maybe at best. But he got into, he did what he had to do. The run game really was bad for them, but Tennessee is always has had a strong front seven against the run with Mike Babel being their head coach. So that doesn't shock me. What shocks me is Kylan Grayson, a guy that almost nobody's ever heard of, three for 72, and Alec Pierce showing up that big play ability that we've been kind of waiting to see these last two years. At three for 101, and Michael Pittman just being that consistent first down guy or just like hit safety blanket pretty much 11 for 105 and a touchdown the defense came to play they got six sacks which you will take every day of the week the titans will levis is playing like a rookie i we kind of talked about it a few weeks ago how we didn't think he was going to keep up with the four touchdown performance but he's playing decent not great but serviceable for a, a rookie quarterback Derrick Henry finally went off for a game, 102 for two touchdowns on 21 attempts. Tajay Spears even chipped in for 16 total carries. So, I mean, if you kind of look at everything that they did, it's it, it not counting the Ryan Stonehouse weird stat of negative 11 rushing yards. They really did good on that end with 188 yards on... 40 carries if I'm 40, 41 carries. So, I mean, almost five per carry, which you will take that any day of the week. And their defense got a couple sacks as well. Nothing too impressive, but they applied pressure where it was needed. But no picks was the thing I was kind of shocked about. You have a rookie quarterback, and then you have a Gardner Minshew gunslinger who usually is going to throw a pick or two. He's also leading the league in turnover-worthy plays. So... The fact that no picks were had on either was what I was surprised about. But overall, it was a good game. Can't complain. It wasn't a snooze fest like some people thought it would be. <laughs> yes, yeah, snooze fest people being me. I thought this was going to be an absolute abysmal game. And Jake, we I said when we were predicting this game that it was strength versus strength before this. Tennessee was 4-1 at home and Indianapolis was 4-1 on the road. And it showed that Indianapolis was a better team on the road because, well, they won. And like you said, Gardner Minshew, he wasn't overly efficient, 
But what I thought was very telling is he made sure to pepper Michael Pittman with targets, 16 targets, and that resulted in 11 catches, including that game-winning touchdown in overtime. Now, I do think this game could have definitely been different had Derrick Henry not gone out of the game heading into, I believe, the fourth quarter. He did not play at all for overtime, I don't believe. I believe it was the Tajay Spears show where he did a lot of his damage uh, and racking up that 16 carries and for 75 yards. But Jake, I think what this game really came down to was it was the more experienced Colts team beating a inexperienced and older, but older Tennessee team because Zach Moss wasn't fantastic. He only went for 51 yards on 19 carries. The running game was non-existent, but it was big plays and Alec Pierce in overtime, that deep ball that he got absolutely was just on the money and no one was anywhere near him. There was no way that he was dropping that. I Like I had told you, he had like three steps on his defender and then he was able to run for about 15 more yards because they were trying to strip the ball from him. They weren't trying to get him out of bounds, get him from, you know, don't let him gain any more yards. Now. Tennessee ran more plays, which you thought would have worn down this Indianapolis defense, but it really didn't. Yardage, they were pretty much even if you look at those. And then even then, I think the biggest thing though, Jake, you did have defensive touchdown or special teams touchdown. The Colts had one of those and those will win you and lose you games as well as Tennessee had nine penalties. While they did dominate time of possession, those two things, penalties and defensive touchdowns, or if it's a special teams touchdown, that can absolutely change the game. Especially when, if you look at Tennessee's defense, they held Indianapolis to three for 14 on third down. Really, really good. But overall, Indianapolis showed why they are in the mix for the playoffs and if the season ended today, they would be, I believe, the fifth seed, which I think is just wild. And not to mention, Jake, I don't think it's out of the realm of the division. I don't think the division is out of the realm of possibility because with Jacksonville losing, which we'll talk about here in a few, this division is suddenly wide open with Jacksonville at eight and four and both Indianapolis and Houston at seven and five, I think that it's really going to come down to that game later in the year when they play each other. But overall, Jake, I think Gardner Minshew, he might play himself into another journeyman role as a potential stopgap starter, because while he hasn't been magical, he has played extremely well, given the circumstances I think that there's a realm of possibility, Jake, where we see one of these quarterback-hungry teams maybe bring in Gardner Minshew as a potential guy for their rookie next year to sit behind, if they can, sit behind and learn from. We've seen that happening with Jordan Love. Who knows? Maybe that could happen with one of these guys who might not be as polished. But Jake, 
Moving on to my first game, Texans, Broncos, Houston coming away with the win in a nail biter, 22 to 17. And Jake, this was really, this really amounted to turnovers. Russell Wilson during their five game winning streak, I don't think had a single turnover, but they, the Houston defense credit to D'Amico Ryans, who knows Russell has played against Russell both as a player, I believe as a player, but he's also played against him as a coach. He was the Niners defensive coordinator, forced him into three picks, which isn't something you usually expect from Russell Wilson. Usually takes care of the ball pretty well. Now, Russ overall didn't have that great of a game, 15 to 26 for 186 and a touchdown to go along with those three picks. Now, he did have a decent rushing attack. He ran it 10 times for 44 yards and a touchdown, but it really came down to turnovers. That is what it came down to. Now, CJ Stroud, he had a fumble, but it got recovered. Dare Ogumbawale recovered it. And CJ Stroud, he played a lot better than Russ, which I don't think you and I would have said while watching Denver's three game or five game win streak. 16 to 27 for 274, only one touchdown, but their running game gave them just enough. Damian Pierce led the way, 15 carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. And Jake, Nico Collins. After Tank Dell went out, unfortunately, season ending, I believe it was a broken fibula. Nico Collins, nine for 191 and a touchdown on off of 12 targets. The next closest to him, Jake, was five targets to Brevin Jordan, and he had three for 64. What we're seeing is Nico Collins is going to get leaned on heavily moving forward. Even with Noah Brown there, he only had two targets, and he was a goose egg on both receptions and yards. And Jake, this defense, three sacks, hit Russ eight times. Denver's defense played very well too to keep him in it, and you brought him up, Derek Stingley, he had two picks, one that was a tip ball by Will Anderson, who we need to absolutely moonlight as well. He had two sacks. And Jimmy Ward, who really was a cast-off from the Niners, coming away with a gorgeous play, great pick in the end zone to seal the game. But Jake, what were your thoughts First of all, I just want to say I was right about Derek Stingley. And I know you were pissed because you wanted to see Russell continue to dominate. And I agree with you. I want to see Russell do good and pretty much just kick all the people's asses that said he wasn't going to do shit this year, even with Sean Payton. But the tenth ball, that was just good game recognition. And he just kept his eye on the ball the entire time. The second pick. Now, that was beautiful. It literally looked like the ball was made to be thrown to him as an over-the-shoulder fade in the middle of the field. And Cortland Sutton, I believe, was the one he was, in, he was doing late coverage on. And he just came off, he came off his guy and went straight to the ball. And it was just something beautiful. And I'm glad Stingley is finally getting recognition as a very good blossoming young CB because he was drafted third overall for a reason ahead of Sauce Gardner. 
And those two are always going to be compared career-wise. It's finally looking like Steenley's closing the gap. Maybe not on how good they are as a player right now, but something you could see like how they are playing. Because they're doing great. And you said it best. Will Anderson needs to get some flowers for this game. He caused that tip ball to get intercepted by Stingley. And the two sacks. His pass pass rush win rate is one of the tops for a outside edge for a rookie. And I think overall he's top 10 in pass rush win rate amongst all outside backers or edges. He's been doing great. He hasn't converted a lot into the sack column like you'd want to see, but pressure-wise, I think he's in the mid-40s. He's, I think, right around six sacks, six and a half with this game. And like I said, he's constantly beating his guy, but it's not converting into sacks, but pressures, which we all know is still a very important stat for for a pass rusher. One thing that needs to be talked about is Nico Collins is finally being elevated with good quarterback play. He is emerging as that favorite target for that young quarterback for the Texans and CJ Shroud. I don't even know if we can call them the Texans anymore. Should we just call them the Houston Strouds or what do you think, Adam? Well, I think that you definitely could make a case for it. And Jake, here's a key stat you might not notice. Denver, 0 for 11 on third down. This Houston defense kept them off the field, made sure that they were able to get them off the field, contributed to seven minutes plus for the Texans in time of possession. And Jake, this was a very pivotal game for the playoffs because if Denver won this, they would then hold tiebreakers over every single team they were fighting for, fighting against, to make it into the playoffs. Now, Denver's not dead in the water yet because they still have, I believe, two games against the Chargers, but this was a really big missed opportunity for the Broncos. And for Houston, they really have a good chance now of making it into the playoffs. And like I said in the last game, a really good chance, in my opinion, to potentially win this division, which would be monumental for C.J. Stroud in his rookie year because no one expected anything from the Texans at all. But Jake, moving on to your second game, you had the Lions and the Saints Detroit coming away with a 33-28 win and a game that was, again, a lot more competitive than I think both you and I thought. What were your thoughts on this game, Jake? The Lions played like how I was worried they were going to play. They, and we talked about this last week, They have been winning games, but they can't kill teams like they should be able to do. They are great for one half, then they suck ass another half. Whether it's their great first or great second or bad first or bad second, they're a one-half team right now. They were absolutely stomping the Saints in the first half. Then they allowed the Saints to come back in the second half to make it this close of a ball game. They were up 24-7 in the first half. Then they only scored nine points while the Saints came back and got 21 in the second half. They need to figure this out. Aaron Glenn, if he continues to have his defense play like this, 
they might be one and done in the playoffs un- unless they get the first seed. Or if they face a wild, if they're a wild card team and they face somebody that doesn't belong in the playoffs, like an NFC South team. Which fuck at this point they might be facing an NFC South team in the in the wild card. But neither here nor there. Golf played decent, sixty percent completion rating, nothing phenomenal, but you'll take it. Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery being that one, and that being that two headed back system is working great and. Jameson Williams is fast. That jet sweep that he did, I'm just thinking like, holy shit, this big bastard can move. Because most people forget, he is 6'2". He is not a small receiver like Jalen Waddle or Tyreek Hill at 5'10 or 5'11". He is a big mofo. And then this was the Sam Laporta game. We have talked about him throughout the season off and on, but this is the game that he just dominated. Nine catches, 140 yards, and a touchdown. Just really good. And Brian Branch, that could be a steal of the draft for the defensive side of the ball. Because we all know Puka's the offensive side. But Brian Branch could be that defensive player that got stolen in the second round. He has been phenomenal this year so far. And with the Saints, Carr played pretty good for Derek Carr. He was accurate, 17 for 22, 226 touchdown and a pick. But it was the running game that kind of got them out of the hole with both Taysom and Alvin Kamara getting 110 yards on 27 carries and three rushing touchdowns. It was just, it was a shootout when I didn't think it should have been a shootout. The Lions should have handily beat the Saints by 10 plus, but they allowed them to come back. And like I said, if, they don't figure their shit out, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They could be one and done at the playoffs. I absolutely think that they can be, especially since I don't know where they're sitting right now. I believe they're, they would be the third seed, so they'd be playing the sixth, who I believe at this moment might be your Packers. Don't quote me on that, though. I don't know if the... Actually, no, I don't think the Packers are in right now. If I look right now at the standings, the Lions are the third seed. They would be playing the Vikings right now. And so your Packers are in the seventh seed. Now, that would be massive because I think that the Vikings could potentially beat the Lions, but I don't know that for a fact. But you're absolutely right. They need to be able to go for the throat. Because like you said, they were up 24-7. to In no way should this come down to 33-28. And Derek Carr, credit to him for you know continuing to fight. He did get hurt again. Jake, I think we need to just start keeping a stretcher out on the sideline mm-hmm. for Derek Carr. Because he's probably going to visit it at least once during a game. And Jameis Winston came in and now... To be honest, Jameis Winston, I believe, is going to be the starter next week. And I'd be comfortable with that, to be honest with you. Now, both teams' running games were the story, in my opinion. Detroit, 30 carries, 142 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. New Orleans, 36 carries for 113 and three rushing touchdowns. But Jake, you and I were talking about him early on before we started recording Sam Laporta has arrived. Nine for 140 and a touchdown. Caught all of his targets. And that's a huge weapon to have 
if you're Jared Goff because you now have a security blanket similar to what he had when he was with Los Angeles. He loved Tyler Higby. Sam Laporta is a much better tight end than Tyler Higby. And that really contributes to being able to get the ball to your security blanket, to a reliable receiver. Now, credit to Detroit's O-line as well, Jake. They only gave up one sack. Now, they did allow four quarterback hits, but this is what you expect from the Detroit Lions O-line. Cam Jordan had two tackles, two total tackles. Now, he wasn't, he didn't even get a hit on the quarterback, Jake. That is exactly what we want to see from the Detroit Lions, but you absolutely have to put this game away. In no universe should this have at all been close. Looking at the total stats, Jake, this, the yardage was only 15 different, and they both ended up with 12 drives. The biggest thing, New Orleans had those turnovers, which really set them back. Brian Branch had that pick, and then you also had, I believe it was a fumble by Derek Carr. Yep. That really is what it came down to. Ooh. Even though you score 21 in the first quarter, you should win. I, I, it's been a big thing with me, Jake. You and I have talked about it a little bit off camera. We bring up constantly why we can't stand Brandon Staley, head coach of the Chargers, because he gave up 27 to nothing he gave up that lead if you have 21 to nothing if you're up 21 to nothing you absolutely have to put this game away early you cannot give a team hope and the crazy thing is jake new orleans is still viable in the nfc south they're only i think a game and a half back of atlanta who's six and six uh, oh yeah can we please have you know, a team from the South with a winning record for once, please. And can we just say that for once, I think we need to have the NFL step in and just say, all right, no teams from the NFC are allowed to be in the playoffs. Oh, because for the NFC South? Yeah, for the NFC South, because this is what I think should be the playoff seven. If that rule went into effect, because... All those teams in the South, if they face any of these seven, they're going to get fucking pounced. I think should be not in any order, but Eagles, Cow- so Eagles, Cowboys from the East. The West should be 49ers, Rams, and the su- the North should have three, which should be the Lions, Vikings, and Packers. I think with how the upstart Rams are coming up, the Packers are starting to come up. The Vikings are holding on at the moment. I think if we throw those seven in there. That is the best product we can hope for from the nfc i mean granted my seahawks should probably be in there before minnesota but neither here nor there or i and i mentioned this guy in our last podcast but bench warmer brand he does he has a fantastic podcast and he does hilarious skits he did a skit where they were auctioning off the NFC South's home playoff spot. So they were the only way they'd be able to make it in is with a wild card, which means they would have to have a good record and the Cowboys would probably get it then because they're tired of playing the Eagles and tired of the Eagles keeping them from having a home playoff game. But you're right. 
I do think that at this point, Atlanta might win this division, Jake, with a 7-10 and 10 record and get a home playoff game. And they would be playing, if the season ended today, Jake, they'd be playing the Cowboys. Yeah, I think we know yeah, how that game would Yeah, they would get end. pounced. Yeah, I think we know how that game would end. But, Jake, moving on to my second game, and it was the Monday night game, and a game that I don't think you and I thought this would be that great, and this was also wild because Cincinnati beats Jacksonville. The Bengals win 34-31 in overtime, and Jake... Jake Browning had a hell of a game. He had the game of his life. 32 of 37 for 354 and a touchdown. Not to mention, Jake, I believe at one point he was like 18 of 18. He was absolutely slinging it. And then you also had, he also had a rushing touchdown as well. I mean, that wasn't on my bingo card. Joe Mixon, he contributed very nicely. 19 carries for 68 yards and two rushing touchdowns. And overall, they ran the ball extremely well. 31 times for 156 yards, three rushing touchdowns overall. And Jamar Chase, he looked like it didn't matter if it was Joey B or Jake B. Because he, off of 12 targets, had 11 catches for 149 yards and a touchdown. Including a 76-yard just goodbye, he was gone. Now, everyone else, Jake, they were kind of fending for themselves. They were kind of fending for scraps. Tyler Boyd, 5 for 37. T. Higgins is still moving a little slow, 3 for 36. And Joe Mixon, Jake, he helped you win your fantasy uh, game last week. He also had six catches for 49 yards to go along with those two rushing touchdowns. Absolutely sealed it. But the biggest story of this game, Jake, to me, is Trevor Lawrence. He ends he ended up getting hurt after 22 of 29 for 258 and two touchdowns. He was playing well, but CJ Beathard came in. He did what he could, 9 of 10 for 63, but it just wasn't the same. And the running game was pretty much non-existent. 25 total carries for 71 yards. They did have two rushing touchdowns, one by ETN, one by Lawrence. And Jake, can Calvin Ridley just make up his mind on if he actually wants to have good games or not? Because he had four catches for 26 yards, but his longest catch was for 21. So you do the math, his other three catches went for five yards. That's not good. And I think what I look at, Jake, is they have said that Trevor Lawrence has a high ankle sprain. He is most likely not going to play this upcoming week. And he should be out for potentially two to four weeks. That opens up this division wide open. You and I thought that Jacksonville would walk through this division no problem. That was our prediction. You and I both had them picking, you know, you and I both picked them to win. And I had them as a potential number one seed candidate. But with Trevor Lawrence out, there's a chance that they might not even make it into the playoffs. They could somehow lose out and potentially not make it in if Indianapolis and Houston play well enough. That is a very real possibility. And for Cincinnati, they are in the basement of their division at 6-6. Six and six, But with Cleveland 
without Deshaun for the rest of the year, and they're trusting Joe Flacco. It's 2023 and Joe Flacco is relevant, Jake. Go figure. And Pittsburgh without Kenny Pickett, who also is likely to be out two to four weeks. Cincinnati's alive and well, potentially, to sneak in as a wildcard team. But what do you think? I think if the Jacksonville Jaguars, like you said, continue on their pace and they can't figure shit out, and if Lawrence is not going to be good to go, they might just be the seventh seat at best if this course continues to go. And the Bengals are one of those teams that they're going to fight tooth and claw. They're pretty much like a higher upside Cardinals because they have more talent on the roster. But the quarterback situation is still a shit show because with Dobro injured, this team's not firing all cylinders. They're probably firing like 60 to 65% cylinders at best. So it's one of those aspects you have to look at. Do we expect Jake Browning to continue playing at this high of a level? No. You said it best. This was the game of his life. He might have earned a five-year backup deals, five years worth of backup deals because of this one game. He could be a high upside backup, like a Josh Dobbs type or a Gardner Minshew type. And if he's like that, great career for him. And he's, like we said, he's, he's a Washington kid. And we watched him play, and I want the best for him. But you said it best. <laughs> Jamar Chase kind of just took over this game, and Joe Mixon was, this might have been the best game of the year for him. He didn't get a lot of yards per carry, but two rushing touchdowns. What he really showed was his catching ability with six catches for 49 yards, second on the team. And the defense, Lou Anarumo, man, I've heard him be talked about as like one of those guys for like coach of potential head coach opportunities next year. This was a case of him being like, yeah, I'm getting a head coaching position if I want it, bitch. Because he's a top three, top four defensive coordinator in the league, and I wanted to do good. And on the opposite side of things, CJ Beathard, when Lawrence had to go out, he played good Deacon Duck football. Nine for 10, 63 yards. He didn't put the ball in harm's way, and he did what he was supposed to do. I think that if it's not for Josh Allen on the Cardinals defense, or Cardinals, Jesus Christ, the Jaguars defense, this defense would be pretty irrelevant, wouldn't you think? Outside of him and possibly Foyo Sadolokun and Tyson Campbell? Like, if it wasn't for Allen, nobody would talk about it except for, like, those two guys. So, Basically. And if I remember right, he is up for fifth year, co- fifth year on his contract because he was taken in the first round. And he's going to demand top-of-the-market money with this being his breakout year. So, uh, have fun, Jags, because you're going to have to pay him and Lawrence these next two years. Very true, and especially with Trevor Lawrence, though, you do have to worry about injuries now, because we've seen that Trevor Lawrence, he he definitely can get nicked. Now, I think what I would be more worried about, Jake, is looking at the playoff picture currently, the Jaguars are only, they only have one game behind them of the Texans. And not to mention, Jake, the Colts 
are the sixth seed. Texans are the seventh. Now, what I think is very important to note for the Bengals, they are 10th currently in the AFC, but they hold a tiebreaker over the Bills. And if the Texans or the Colts or hell, even if the Browns stumble, the Bengals still have a very real chance of sneaking into the playoffs as a wild card. Now, I don't think that they would be able to make too much noise, but it is definitely not out of the realm of possibility, especially now with the Broncos not in and the Steelers not in, which we will talk about here in just a moment. But Jake, moving on to our final game for our recap, and that was our shared game. And a game, once again, we thought it would be a game of the year, and shocker, it was a blowout. San Francisco trouncing Philadelphia. The Niners coming away with a 42-19 win over the Eagles. And Jake, Brock Purdy had a phenomenal game. 19-27 for 314 and four touchdowns. But this was an incredible game overall, just as a whole. Christian McCaffrey, 17 carries for 93 yards, and he had a touchdown. Debo, he had three carries for 22 yards, and he had a rushing touchdown. And he also went four catches, 116 yards, and two touchdowns off of four targets. Kittle contributed four for 68. Ayuk had five for 46 and a touchdown. Jawan Jennings had a touchdown. Jake, they only had five people catch the ball, but Debo went perfect on his catches, and then everyone else only missed one or two catches off of their targets. Now, I think another big story to talk about, though, was this defense. Sacking Jalen three times and hitting him nine, but 11 passes defensed. This secondary was very aggressive, very much challenging the receivers. Charvarius Ward had four passes defensed by himself. Ambry Thomas had three. They were playing extremely aggressive and making sure that these receivers for Philadelphia weren't able to run free and get a ton of yards. A.J. Brown, he did have a good game, 8 for 114, but it wasn't overly impactful. Same with Devonta Smith. He had 9 for 96. He did have a touchdown, but it was a little late, I believe. I think what I would look at, though, Jake, more concerning, Jalen Hurts did exit this game around the third quarter, I believe, early in the fourth, was evaluated for a concussion. Now, he did go back in after a brief stint from Marcus Mariota. But, Jake, I think that the Eagles, I talk, I told you this before we started recording, I think the Eagles have a very real chance of being in trouble here, mainly due to the fact that while I do trust them potentially, you know, at home or on the road, I do think that this run game needs to really step it up. 18 carries for 46 yards and a tush-push touchdown. But I'm very worried, Jake, if I'm the Eagles, mainly because one of the health of Jalen Hurts, because we've seen that he can get nicked up pretty often, and that really in it really takes away a lot of what they want to do with both Jalen's legs using the tush-push and with his ability to get outside the pocket and have second reaction plays. Now, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, you need them to have big games like this 
but this O-line, Jake, got absolutely worked. And this defense, the middle of the field is wide open. Their linebackers, hopefully Shaquille Leonard, who they picked up, can make a difference because Debo Samuel and George Kittle were feasting in the middle of the field. That's why Debo had such big yards and why he also had that long touchdown because their secondary is not fixable. And I don't know if their linebackers are either with just getting absolutely torched. Jake, I said it, I think at one point that San Fran was the best team in football. I think that in the NFC, they're head and shoulders above the rest. Oh, easy. If if you're comparing against the rest of the NFC, they this game made it clear that even though they don't have the best record in the conference, they are the cream of the crop. Because if it wasn't for that short stretch because of injury in the middle of the season where they they kind of went a skittish run, they probably would be 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 and they would be the first seat. But dude, this Niners defense, you said it best, 11 passes defended, eight or nine hits on Jalen Hurts, and three sacks. This game was just a master class, and it was just amazing to see. Not great, not amazing to see if you're an Eagles fan, though. But if you're just a neutral site fan, this game was great. Purdy was on point, man. He only threw the ball 27 times, but four touchdowns for 314 yards. You'll take that every day of the week. Debo Samuel, man, coming back from that injury, he has been lighting it up these last couple of weeks. Four catches, 116, two touchdowns on the in the air, and he showed his rushing potential again. Three for 22 and a rushing touchdown. As long as the quarterback stays healthy, this team is a Super Bowl team. If they lose Purdy, they don't have a high-tier backup. They don't have anybody that can get unless they pick somebody off the street. And, uh, sorry, there isn't really a high-end backup on the street unless you want to try to for, like, Cam Newton or maybe sign Tom Brady out of retirement for, like, a one last hurrah as come back to San Francisco where you – and let's kick some ass. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, that's true. Which, don't get me wrong, I think it'd be cool to see because the Niners deserve something. They have been so good under the Shanahan and John Lynch era, but they are literally, I, I heard it put best, they are never the bride. They are always the one that catches the fucking flowers. Oh, they're the bridesmaid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're always the bridesmaid, not the bride. I want them to be the bride in the situation and I want them to win. Even though we are Seattle's your number one and they're my number two team, 49ers deserve something here. And even if they just make it to the Super Bowl, I want it to be at least close, even if they lose. I, but I want them to be one of those last team standing type thing, which I think they will be. The Eagles, they took away the rushing attack. And if you go up on Philly, you better do something to keep them that way and keep them dead. And if you go up on them like what the Niners did, you don't let them rush the ball, you have a good chance of doing something here. 
they did allow almost 100 yards to Devontae and, like you said, 114 to AJ. That It was a bin-not-break defense, man. They only allowed two touchdowns – sorry, three touchdowns. But when you're score 42, it doesn't matter what they do because you're stopping one of the better rushing attacks in the league, and you held Jalen to 20 yards on seven attempts and DeAndre Swift to 2.2 a carry. Yeah. I'll say this was a masterclass by the by the Niners, and they're going to be riding this hot streak. And people saying that this was their Super Bowl because this is revenge for the NFC Championship game. This wasn't their Super Bowl. This was a showing of what the Niners can do against top-end talent. We have seen them take out the top dogs in the NFC. They handed a freaking massive L to the Cowboys earlier in the year. Now the Eagles. They are going to kick in people's asses and taking people's names. But moving away from before we, our before recap. Before you do that, before you do that, Jake, think about hmm. this. Sam Fran has outscored both the Cowboys and the Eagles 84 to 29. And heading into this week, Jake, there are three teams that can clinch playoff bursts. Dallas with a win and a lot of help. Philly, though, they can clinch a playoff berth with a Philly win and either a Seattle loss or a Rams loss. But the Niners can also clinch a playoff berth here, Jake, with a win and either a Green Bay loss or Minnesota loss. Keep an eye on this game because this is the season for Seattle. But if the Niners win this, they have a very real possibility still. For the number one seed. Oh, easy. But I think we should move on to our Thursday game recap, which, you know, a lot more points were scored than I thought. The under for this game was like 30 and a half points. And if I remember right, I read a stat saying 80.5% of betters put the under on that game. So it was a decent game, but... Eh, I wouldn't say amazing, but better than what we thought it would be, which isn't saying much. Indeed, New England beating Pittsburgh 21 to 18. And Jake, it was 21 to 3 in the middle of the second quarter. And keep in mind about this, Jake. Here's a little fact that they flashed on the Prime Video broadcast. Heading throughout this entire season, the New England Patriots heading into this game averaged 12.1 points per game. And at the right early on in the second quarter, they had already passed that with 14 points. Bailey Zappi played the game of his life. If we want to talk about players playing games of their lives, 19 of 28 for 240 yards, a touchdown. And he did have that pick. It was tipped up. But he played extremely well for a guy that I don't think you and I really think much of him. We just think of him as Mac Jones, but cool last name. Now, Juju definitely was a big contributor. Four catches for 90 yards. And Ezekiel Elliott, I bet you Dallas kind of wishes they had this to instead of Tony Pollard right now. Seven catches for 72 yards and a touchdown to go along with 22 carries for 68 yards on the ground. Jake, when was the last time we were talking about Ezekiel Elliott having 
140 yards from scrimmage. 20, what, 2018? 2018, I think. Now, New England, they they have nothing to play for, really, other than either draft position or to just play spoiler. But Pittsburgh, this is a devastating loss for them, Jake. And one that, like I said, knocked them out of the playoffs. Heading into this game, they were, I believe, the seventh seed. But with this loss, it puts the Texans in their spot. And this is a big loss because... You also still won't have Kenny Pickett for at least this week, probably, and then potentially another. And after what we saw, Jake, Mitch Trubisky, I think we remember now why Chicago wanted him out, even though he made the playoffs twice. 22 of 35 for 190. He did have a touchdown, but that pick, Jake, was so ugly. It was so bad. It was basically a freebie for Jabril Peppers, who he might as well have waved for a fair catch while he was running up for it. Now, Connor Hayward, they tried to do something tricky with it, but it just didn't work. Now, Trubisky, he did add 30 yards on the ground and a touchdown, but 28 total carries for 82 yards for the Steelers' offense, awful. And Deontay Johnson, he had a great touchdown catch, but seven targets and only three catches, you just can't have that. And I think, Jake, a big loss that was talked about early on pretty often during the game was T.J. Watt got hurt, I believe, the first play of the game, took a knee to the face, and they had him out, and he was in and out pretty much the rest of the game. Definitely negated this Steelers defense, and Nick Herbig, who we've talked about being a pretty solid player, he really wasn't able to make that big of a difference. Bailey Zappi was only sacked twice and only hit two other times. He was playing with a pretty clean pocket pretty much all night. And Hunter Henry, Jake, we need to talk about him real quick. Three catches for 40 yards and two touchdowns. What is this? Again, 2018? 2019 he wasn't doing this unless he was early on with the chargers this is just this Steelers team jake i know that we talk about mike tomlin who has never had a losing record i would be very worried if i'm the steelers because i think that with this loss knocking them down to seven and six i don't think that the playoffs are a guarantee now especially because this was your this was basically a bye week. That's what we looked at this as going into it. And you got down 21 to 3 and you were playing catch up all game and you looked honestly pedestrian. I don't think Matt Canada was all the problem, Jake. Now Kenny Pickett is hurt, granted. So maybe it would look different with him. But my final point, Jake, George Pickens was Five catches for 19 yards, and he looked lazy. The Steelers have he issues. He really did. Um, I think kind of like the big thing was you saw that jo- you were watching this game or just watching the highlights. You saw that George Pickens where he just kind of gave up in the end zone where the Patriots were just kind of dancing around all excited. And you see George Pickens in that end zone. I'm thinking like, damn, if that's the energy right now. Oh, fuck, man. 
I am glad to see Cam Hayward back, though. That's the one thing I'm glad he got a stack in his game. And I love seeing that old man back. He is one of my favorite defensive players, and he really doesn't get talked a lot about. But you said it best. This game was just nothing too great. And Ezekiel, what impressed me most wasn't the rushing ability for Zeke. He has he still has a good power back, and he's still really good in pass pro. Even in his fucking prime, he didn't do this in the receiving game. Seven for 72 and a touchdown. He looked like freaking Christian McCaffrey out there against the Steelers' defense. Don't get me wrong. The Steelers' defense are hurting the most in the linebacker department right now, especially coverage backers. So it makes sense why Zeke went off like that to some degree, but still. Bailey Zappi, you made this guy look like fucking prime Brady almost in the first half. If there is a year where you are going to see Tomlin lose that staying above 500 record, it will be this year, like you said previously. But this game was okay. You actually saw the Patriots have some fight, which I like. But other than that, you really didn't see much. No, and you're basically, if you're New England, you're not saying that you want to lose, but to be honest, you're wanting to lose because you're wanting to make sure you can position yourself in a good position for Drake May or who knows. If you were to lose out, maybe you can somehow get Caleb Williams because who knows, maybe the Panthers are magical and somehow come away. Bryce Young turns up, you know, he just turns into prime. He turns into CJ Stroud. But overall, Jake, this game, I dozed off during it because it was just a snooze fest. There was basically no excitement. And even with a block punt that made this game look a little bit closer, they scored a touchdown after that. There was nothing much to write home about. I think overall, the Steelers have hurt themselves with this game, losing this game. And yeah. Good luck, Tomlin. But Jake, yeah, moving no away from our recaps, we're going to do a neat little segment where the MVP conversation is very interesting. And I have highlighted five players that I think you and I both believe deserve MVP consideration. And those five players are Lamar Jackson, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Hurts. What we did is you ordered yours from five to one as far as who you think is going to win it and who you think should win it. I did as well, but I'm going to let you go first. Who is your top five MVP candidates of those five from five to one? Okay, so I do have a non-quarterback in this list. Because you have to throw Tyree Kill in the MVP race because there really hasn't been that one quarterback that has gone off in a way. But starting off at number five, I have Brock Purdy. I think he has played himself into an MVP voting role. Now, these last few weeks in the NFL season, these, this last third, the home stretched for the playoff race is really going to show which one of these five will be kicked out or rise up or they stay where they are. 
But number five, Brock Purdy, 23 passing touchdowns, two rushing, six picks. And he's first in the league in QBR at 75.6. Yes, he's in a great system where his receivers are going to get separation out the wazoo. Shanahan creates a masterclass offense, but Jimmy Garoppolo was getting potential MVP votes in this system, and he didn't even put up these type of stats. Maybe in his best year as a 49er, he put up stats where Purdy is right now. And I don't even think he even did that. And there's still five games left that Purdy could put up stats. So maybe 30 passing, 32 passing touchdowns, three or four rushing touchdowns, throw in a pick or two, but he's probably going to have almost a four to one interception touchdown interception ratio. And he'll probably still be top three in QBR by the end of the year. He is playing amazing football right now. Tyree kill is my number four. Now I know me and you disagree on this one, but I think because it is a quarterback driven league, which it is bullshit. And we've had said this before, just call it the the best. They need to separate and have MVP than best quarterback award. But Tyreek Hill, almost 1,500 passing yards. Or, or not passing yards, but fucking receiving yards. Which is first in the league by 300, I believe. First in touchdowns at 12. And he's second in receptions. Nine behind Keenan Allen. But... He could be a triple crown winner like when Cooper Cup got it two years ago. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Lamar Jackson is my third because he has been playing really good ball and he has been keeping the Baltimore Ravens in games with that amazing defense. 13 passing. Okay, he's the least amount of passing. Five rushing touchdowns and five picks. Only 13th in QBR at 58.7, but... The way he's been, he's cooled off so far, but he needs to kind of get back on a heater to stay in the MVP race, or Purdy will overlap him, and he'll be third, and Lamar will be fifth on my list. The reason he's this high up is because of what he brings to the play action, rollout, and the rushing attack, which makes that Ravens offense so dangerous. Number two is being Jalen Hurts. 19 passing, 12 rushing, little higher on the picks, higher, highest on the list at 10, but highest in the league when it in on highest on my list with 31 total touchdowns and eighth in the league at 61.4 QBR pretty good. The guy has been playing very good and he's been playing where it's the most important when his team is down. If you look at his stats, when they're winning compared to when they are losing in games, the stats where he is losing are far greater than when he is winning, especially when you look at QBR and passer rating. And finally, my MVP current leader is Dak Prescott. Never thought I would have him as my number one, but in my opinion, he has been the best quarterback this year on a stat basis. 26 passing touchdowns, two rushing, and only six interceptions. He has been playing very clean and very good football. It was talks last year at the end of the year like, wow, he's led the league in interceptions. How is he going to play without Kellen Moore? And he's been playing arguably the best ball of his career. He's on pace to be right around 45, 4,600 passing yards, 
probably going to be in the realm of 37, 38 passing touchdowns and probably throw another rushing touchdown, probably be eight or nine picks. Still, at the end of the day, he's my number one, and I he's not the faraway winner, but he's my number one for right now. What about yourself, Adam? Well, I do think that your list isn't too bad. I understand all of your reasoning, but my list is definitely a little bit different from yours. Uh, at number five, I have Jalen Hurts, and usually he could absolutely win it because of the rushing ability, rushing touchdowns, but the passing yards and the passing touchdowns have been down from last year. And not to mention Jake, we've seen that again, he did end up leaving the game against the Niners with a concussion. Now he did go through protocol, but he does have a tendency of getting banged up. We saw him miss games last year and the Eagles absolutely struggled. It's probably the reason why they had three losses and not one. Now, I do think that there's a chance he does absolutely win this, but I just don't see it. Now, at number four, I have Brock Purdy. Now, Brock Purdy, he's number one in pretty much everything. But you have to remember, this system, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo play well in this system and make it to a Super Bowl. We've seen Matt Ryan play well, and he has won the MVP. But I do think that Matt Ryan is a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. I think also you have to take into consideration both the weapons that Brock Purdy has with Ayuk, Kittle, McCaffrey, hell, even Elijah Mitchell, he can play. Jawan Jennings can play. And not to mention, Jake, we saw how he looked without Trent Williams and Debo Samuel. They had a three-game losing streak. I can't just unsee that. Now, at number three, I have Lamar Jackson and I think that this is the most likely quarterback, mainly because we've seen Lamar absolutely trounce NFC teams. He did it to a contender in the Lions, and he did it to a viable playoff team, in my opinion, in the Seahawks. They couldn't do anything with him. Now, you can argue the defense was a contributor as well, but Lamar dominated. Now, the only issue that I have with Lamar is we have seen Gus Edwards take a lot of those rushing touchdowns that Lamar would usually get away from him. Goal line one yarders, they've gone to Gus Edwards. And now Keaton Mitchell emerging, I could see Lamar having his running backs take him out of the conversation for MVP. Now, at number two, I have Dak Prescott, and I told you this. I have never once thought Dak Prescott and MVP should belong in the same sentence ever. But this is the best Dak Prescott that we have ever seen. He has been playing very efficient. He's been playing pretty mistake-free as well. Like you said, only six interceptions. I think that what we've also seen is Dak Prescott using his legs more. Last year, we didn't see a lot of that. We didn't see a lot of him moving around and having those second reaction plays that we have seen this year. Now, I think that if he is able to beat the Eagles and potentially win his division, I absolutely could see Dak hoisting that MVP trophy. But my number one is Tyreek Hill. And here's the reason why, Jake. I think that because we have not seen any quarterbacks with overly dominant stat lines, even with Brock Purdy being number one in everything, 
He's not leading the league in touchdown passes. He's playing well, but he's not leading the league in touchdown passes. I think that because Tyreek Hill is 300 yards past second place on the receiving yards list, I think that what we could see is our first ever 2,000-yard receiver. And if Tyreek gets that, he absolutely deserves MVP and should win it, in my opinion. He is averaging 123 yards per game. He already has 10 touchdowns, and he is on pace for 2,098 yards and 17 touchdowns. The pace he's also on, Jake, here's another fun fact that I heard earlier today. Even in a 16-game season, the pace he is on would still eclipse Calvin Johnson's record of 1,964 receiving yards. So I absolutely think that Tyreek Hill is going to get 2,000 and he absolutely should be the MVP, in my opinion, if he does get that. Because I don't know if we'll ever see that again. 17-game season, 16-game season, I don't think we will ever see that again from a wide receiver. But Jake, movie... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I definitely think unless um, we see somebody break Hill's record, if he does break Calvin Johnson's record this year, yeah, we're not going to see it. Or... It would take somebody breaking Randy Moss's touchdown record, really, to kind of be up there in the MVP consideration. Unfortunately, but I think this year is definitely a possibility for a non-quarterback to win it. The last non-quarterback to win the MVP was Adrian Peterson when he came nine yards away of breaking Eric Dickerson's all-time rushing record after coming off of a torn, I believe, ACL in like six months, which was just unheard of at the time. But Jake, moving on to our Eyes on 5 predictions for Week 14, and we're going to start off with my first game, arguably a game of the week. It is in the 1 o'clock window, Seattle heading to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers in a game that is Seattle's season. If Seattle loses this, they are basically out of the playoffs because you have been then swept by both the Rams and the 49ers. And I don't see how you could make a you could make the playoffs if you're what? I believe they would be 0-4. I don't think they've played the Cardinals at all. I think they would be 0-4 in division then. Now, they are also... Here's another thing, Jake. They're 2-4 on the road this season. Niners, 4-1 at home. Now, I think Seattle... What we saw against Dallas is definitely encouraging because we saw DK Metcalf explode for three touchdowns, over 100 yards... He was unguardable. He torched Duran Bland, but he did go quiet once you had Stefan Gilmore on him. And I thought that was something that Seattle really had an issue with. They didn't continue to feed DK, which in my opinion, you absolutely have to. Now, Gino, he also had a very good game, but it was all for naught. It ended in a loss, even though you could argue it was a game that they absolutely should have won. I think for the 49ers, they just need to hold serve at home. And if they win, like I said, Jake, if they win and either the Packers or the Vikings lose, they are automatically in the playoffs. 
Now, San Francisco, Jake, is favored by 13 points, which I understand why, because we saw what they have done both to Seattle the last time they played. They absolutely torched them. And we've also seen the Niners house both the Cowboys and the Eagles. And coming off the heels of this game, I absolutely think that the Niners deserve the credit of being 13-point favorites. But I'd still take the Seahawks and the points. I would at least take Seattle to cover, but I don't know if they win. What do you think? <sighs> coming off these last three games because they were six and three they were looking fantastic they were leading the division yeah now that the niners are off their skid um especially coming off that eagles win i don't know if even if the seahawks play at full power if they could beat this niners squad man they would have to have Devin Witherspoon, Tyreek Woolen, um, and their safeties play lights out. And even then, okay, you're stopping their passing attack. Good luck stopping a Shanahan run game when you have so many DBs on the field. You, they're not able. To, they don't have the defense to cover this type of offensive firepower. They might be able to stop one of their facets, not both. I think at the end of the day, I think Seattle's going to put up a fight. But I think the 49ers are going to come away with a win. Will they cover this point spread? I will agree with you. I think Seattle will at least do that. But they're not going to be able to stop this Niners team unless a miracle or they play out of their fucking mind. I, and I hate saying that, but I think Seattle loses this game and their playoff hopes are crushed. Unless, like you said, Packers or Vikings both lose to go along with them losing. Yeah, and I think, Jake, the other thing is I don't know if a Seahawks loss would necessarily hurt them because as far as drafting goes, I think that this is the quarterback draft where you could potentially get a Michael Penix or hell, even a Bo Nix because I think that Seattle could definitely trade up and try and get their franchise quarterback in a loaded draft. But if you're Seattle at this moment in time, you're thinking about the now and you're looking for a potential playoff berth to keep yourself, you know, in relevancy. Now, I don't know if they win, but we'll do our predictions later on. Jake, we're going to go to your first game, though, which I believe you said was the Colts and the Bengals, which is a game with major wildcard implications. Oh, yeah. So, the Bengals are on the skin of their teeth right now for how it's looking for them to be a playoff uh, spot locked in for them. Because they are 6-6. Six and six, So if they lose this game, they're not guaranteed to be out of the playoff race, but damn, their rods are not looking great. And the Colts have a spot locked in right now only because they have a game on the Texans. So if this is a must-win game for both teams to stay in the playoff race. Cause if Texans win, there goes that tiebreaker that they had with the Colts with the Colts beating him for a playoff spot. And I don't know, man, you're having. So Browning was a Husky quarterback, right? Yes. Can we just call this the 
the P- the uh, Washington Bowl because we have a Husky going against a Cougar. Very true. In this game, and as a as someone who's lived in Washington most of his life before I moved to where I currently am in the Midwest, this is gonna be fun. I actually get to see two guys go against it that I watched pretty extensively in college. And I think if the Colts defense can continue playing lights out like they have been playing, I don't know if Jake Browning in this offense is going to be good enough because this defense has been doing good, but the Bengals defense is nothing to be slept on either because I sung praise on Lou Anarumo earlier in this podcast. And multiple times have I said that he deserves a head coaching spot. He is damn good at what he does. And I think you're going to see Gardner get pressured a lot. Lou's going to dial up some type of exotic blitz package for this game. And he's going to keep Gardner on his heels and not going to let him stay comfortable in that pocket at all. I think the same goes for Browning. But Browning has some escapability. But most of where the Colts are going to be pressuring him is going to be up the middle with Grover Stewart and with DeForest Buckner. Can Browning handle that? I don't know. I think this is going to be a closer game than people think. It's not, I think it's going to be decent scoring, but it's going to be close. This might just be like a one field goal game. What do you think? Well, it's funny you say that because the line is Cincinnati favored by two and a half. So the field goal would actually cover for the Colts. But Jake, I think that what we're seeing is like you mentioned, it's basically the apple cup quarterback bowl in this game. And I think, like I said, to start it, this has a major wildcard implications because currently the Bengals are in the cellar and they basically are going to have to win out in order to make it into the playoffs and especially make it into the wild card. Now the Colts, because their division is kind of crap, they might be able to get away with it. But you also have to remember, Jake, they are still looking at the division. Because you have Trevor Lawrence going down, you basically are now looking at potentially Houston being your biggest competition. And the Colts need this game to basically cement themselves as at least a wild card spot. But the Bengals, if they want any chance of making the playoffs, it starts with this game you get a win against jacksonville you actually help the colts in that but if you are able to beat the colts you then have a tiebreaker over them which could sneak you in now i think that your point with pressure is very valid but gardner Minshew has shown that he can run around a little bit more we did have that cleveland game jake remember where he had two rushing touchdowns and he wasn't afraid to you know take some zone read Now, I think that if they're able to get Zach Moss going on the ground, remember, Jake, at one point for a little while, Zach Moss was second in the league in rushing. I think that if he's able to capture some of that again, this could be a very close game, but it's going to come down to the quarterbacks. Can Gardner Minshew play a better game than Jake Browning? I'm very curious to see. It could come down to just experience. But Jake, moving on to my second game, and this is a candidate for game of the week, 
but we have a bigger game to talk about for our shared game. But for my second game, I have the Buffalo Bills heading to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. And this is a game, once again, with massive implications for the playoffs because the Bills have to win this game in order to keep themselves with a possibility of making the playoffs. Because currently, they sit at 6-6, six and six, and it's looking like the division is getting ran away with by Miami. They are 9-3, and three, and they are currently the one seed in the AFC. The Bills have to win this game. Now, they did win last year in Arrowhead. I believe I was in Colorado when I watched that game, and Patrick Mahomes threw a very ugly pick to seal the deal for the Bills, but these are two different teams. Now, Josh Allen, he did, he is coming off of a bye. So we have to keep that in mind, Jake. Josh Allen coming off of a bye after a heartbreaking loss in overtime in a game that they probably should have beaten Philadelphia in. Now, what I think is very interesting, Jake, is the last two weeks since they fired Ken Dorsey, they've scored, I believe, 32 and 34 points. That is definitely something to keep an eye on because it's showing that Josh Allen is responding well to Joe Lombardi's or excuse me, Joe Brady's offense. Keep in mind that was the guy who orchestrated Joe Burrow's LSU magical run when he won the national title. Now for the Chiefs, Jake. They just need a receiver to step up other than Travis Kelsey. Now, Rashi Rice has been playing well, but we need to see him full on step up and step into that number one role. Now, that's a lot to ask for a rookie, but Sky Moore, he's a bust. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he's too inconsistent. And I don't trust any of their other receivers outside of, obviously, Travis Kelsey. So to me, Jake... It's going to come down to, can Rushy Rice step up into a number one role, be that second option other than Travis Kelsey, and basically be a weapon for Patrick Mahomes? Because, Jake, the Chiefs are very much in danger of going on the road for the first time in the playoffs in the Mahomes era. Now, Kansas City is favored by one what are your thoughts on this game? Oh, this is not a do or die game for the Chiefs, but if they want to try to keep, if they want to try to get back with that, to get the first seat back to them, they have to win this. If they lose this game and fall to eight and five. They're releasing a snowball's chance in hell unless the, unless the top dogs in the AFC fall off. The Bills. This is as close to a do or die game as possible and let's hope it does not come down to a coin flip again i think you need to look at both these quarterbacks have been playing good but not fantastic like we are think that we were brought up to think that these guys were the cream of the crop in the nfl for quarterbacks they are playing like top 10 but when you're talking about josh allen patrick mahomes you're talking about a top two, top three, or top four quarterbacks in the league, man. They're not playing like that with their stats, especially Allen. 
He's been playing good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not been playing like that top three quarterback like he's been the last two years. I mean, he was one of my guys for MVP that coming into this year. But shit, now I don't know. <clears throat> I still think you can play great ball with Buffalo. And ever since they fired Ken Dorsey, their offense has been very good. What's been holding them back this year is their defense. It's been consistent injuries in the secondary and with Matt Milano. And teams have been rushing on them really bad. They need to get some type of they need to get some type of run defense with the heavy package. I don't know why they're allowing almost I think it's almost 5 yards a carry when opponents rush on them. And on the Chiefs side of the ball, dude, can we just call them the Butterfinger Chiefs? Cuz holy fuck, they laid they laid just can drops. <clears throat> yeah. MVS has dropped what? Two He's dropped a game-winning touchdown, and he's dropped like two or three game-turning catches or balls, and he just dropped them. Travis Kelsey has been good this year. Rasheed Rice is now starting to come on, but kind of a day late and a dollar short. They should have used him earlier in the year. And who's to say they even continue continue to use him in the aspect that, that we want him to use him, where it's try to get him deep down the field. He's good in contested catch situations. He's a big guy. He's not big, but he's big enough. And he has decent hands. Shit, besides Kelsey, he is pretty much the guy with the best hands on the team. Because everybody else ain't doing shit. If I had to pick a winner for this game, I'd pick the Chiefs just because their team is on defensive side of the ball is a lot better. Because they don't have injuries to worry about like with the Bills. But I think it's going to be a good game. But fuck, man, I don't know. Here's here's some key injuries for you, Jake. Pacheco is out. Donovan Smith is out. Drew Tranquil is out. And Brian Cook is out. So you're out. You're starting running back. One of your starting linemen. One of your starting linebackers. And one of your starting safeties. That is very, very significant. Because Pacheco, he runs angry, Jake. You know how good Pacheco is. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire he's just not big enough to be able to make big, tough runs. Now, I think that it's going to really come down to the run games. Can we see James Cook, Jake? It, can there be a James Cook sighting? I think that's going to be big. I think it's going to be big. Now, Jake, moving on to your second game, I believe you said you have Rams-Ravens. <clears throat> yes, I do, Adam. This game... I really haven't seen anybody talk about this game. But the Rams are fighting for a playoff spot. Now, if I remember, they're number seven, right? Um, Currently, they are... Currently, they are eighth. But they... Okay. Because they lost the game to your Packers. So literally, they just see the Packers lose and they're in if they win this. So they're as close to a, a seventh or sixth seed as possible right now. Now, the Rams are fighting right now. They are doing a lot better than I think we both would have given them credit for this year. The fact they're, they're 500, two-thirds of the way through the season, shit, I thought they'd be... Four and ten, three and thirteen. 
we kind of had them as a dark horse for that Caleb Williams Drake May sweepstakes. Now they would have to trade up to get any type of quarterback unless they try to get one that falls, which I don't think a quarterback's going to fall in this draft. And Stafford coming off a very impressive game with 270 passing and three touchdowns. He's been playing good, but he's going against a pass rush unit in the Ravens that is going to hit him and hit him often. And we all know Stafford is a iron man, but he has sustained a lot of injuries in his career. I am worried that if he goes down, who do you have a quarterback for them? Uh, not really much. So they're one injury away at the quarterback position to be falling to like seven and 10 and out of the playoff race entirely. Now the Ravens, they need this game to continue to fight for that first seat. If they lose this, they're still the second or third seat in the league or in the AFC. And, you know, it's possible they lose. The Rams are upstart. This could be what we call the trap game, like with the Bengals and Jaguars, but not to the same degree. The Ravens have been playing good. Their defense has been playing phenomenally. Top three defense in the league. Their offense, though, is going against a pretty decent rushing defense. So let's see what happens. I'm going to be kind of looking for Zay Flowers to kind of ball out this game or maybe see Keaton Mitchell kind of do Keaton Mitchell things and go for over 100 yards. But the Ravens should handle this game, but it is going to be a good game, I hope. I hope it's going to be a good game too, Jake, but... I think that this game will probably get out of hand early. What we've noticed with NFC teams traveling to Baltimore to take on Lamar is that they are not able to adjust to his speed. You can't really game plan for Lamar because you don't really have anyone as fast as him. What they might have done, Jake, for practice is basically have Tutu Atwell basically be at quarterback and scramble around to try and simulate what it's like having Lamar. But the difference is Lamar can actually throw. I would be very worried if I'm the Rams because this is the exact type of game that the Ravens could win 38-6 to or 38-3. to We've seen what they did to the Lions and to the Seahawks. Now, I don't think the Rams will get beat that bad, but I would not be shocked if that was the case. Now, if I'm the Rams, you do have a chance of making it into the playoffs, especially because of the fact that you did sweep the Seahawks in the season series. That sits you really nicely, and that gives you basically a full game, game and a half tiebreaker over Seattle if it comes down to that. At, as well as you are, like I said, they are currently the eighth seed now the only thing that was really holding them out of the playoffs currently is that Packers game where the Packers beat them they hold the tiebreaker now the Vikings Jay hold the conference tiebreaker over the Rams based off of NFC record but if the Vikings stumble Jake they don't have an easy matchup they're playing the Raiders who have been playing decently inspired football under 
Antonio Pierce, the Rams might be able to then get into the playoffs off and be there right now if the Vikings continue to fall. Keep in mind, Jake, the Vikings have not looked great. They looked awful last time we saw them with Josh Dobbs. I think if the Rams are able to steal this game, it would go a humongous distance for their playoff hopes. Whereas for the Ravens, if they do lose, it's not that big of a deal because they have a commanding lead over their division, the AFC North. But Jake, moving on to our final game. This is the shared game for this week, and it is a rematch. The Eagles taking on the Cowboys, this time in Jerry World, which is going to be a huge game and a game that could decide the division, Jake. Now, Philly won the first matchup in a close one. I believe it was 28-23. But, Jake, what are you going to be looking at in this game? In this game, I am going to be looking for the... Really, I just want to see Jalen Hurts ball out because I think that if he balls out, I don't think the Dallas offense or defense can keep up. Now, if he doesn't ball out and this Cowboys defense stops their run game, I think they'll be okay enough to stop this passing attack. They're going to give up yards and a touchdown or two in the passing game because A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith are too good not to stop entirely. So the Cowboys defense is going to have to ball out they really are going to need to get home in the sack department. Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence are really going to have to light this game up. And if they want that, they're going to have to have Mozzie Smith step up. And he showed flashes as that why he was picked in the first round. But <clears throat> I think you need to see him do more because he was brought in as a nose tackle with pass rush upside. I want to see him flash that upside against Landon Dickerson or the Herbig kid or hell, even Jason Kelsey. Now, is he going to flash that against this O-line? Who knows? But I want to see it because when he was coming out, I had a good grade on him, but neither here nor there. The Eagles are going to have to win this game because if they don't, the Cowboys are going to be fighting in this game. And they're going to look at the tape really extensively for how this 49ers defense played against this Philadelphia Eagles offense because the Cowboys and 49ers defense is similar in quite a few constructs. And they are going to punish this team because who knows if Shaq Leonard is going to be good to go in this game. How much is he going to be able to study this playbook? How much is he going to be able to stop this defense? They're going to target the linebackers just like the 49ers did because that is the recipe to stop this Eagles defense. Quick game in the middle. Target their linebackers. Don't let their pass rush get home. So you're probably going to see a lot of Tony Pollard in pass pro or Jake Ferguson. But... It's going to be a fire burner of a game either way. It's going to be high scoring, and it's going to be a very good game. I absolutely think it's going to be a great game. 
especially because of the fact that Jake, it's a divisional game. Divisional games, they are always played extremely close. Now the Eagles did win, but the last meeting, but it is hard to beat a team twice. What? Because when you lose, you have a lot more things to work on. Whereas if you win, you don't work as hard. You usually can coast and think that you did. Ugh. You just do the same thing that you did before. I think that the Cowboys are going to come in extremely motivated. Jake, at home, they are averaging 40 points a game. Now, the over-under for this game is 51 and a half, which, if I'm looking at the over-unders, is the highest all week by a mile. The next highest, Jake, is 46, or excuse me, 48 and a half. So a full three points over Bill's Chiefs, which we know has the capabilities of being a shootout. Now, I think if the Eagles are going to win this game, Jake, it's going to come on the back of these wide receivers. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are absolutely going to be studying what happened with Deron Bland because D.K. Metcalf last week torched him. He, They made Bland delicious. And I think that what we're going to see is A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith will probably swap off on Deron Bland. Now, he can take pick sixes. He can get pick sixes. He set a record for him. But I think we'll see a lot of double moves. I think that it is going to be a very interesting matchup to watch throughout the entire game. And I think we have to also keep an eye on Jake Dak to CeeDee Lamb. What we saw last week is CeeDee Lamb was heavily targeted more than anyone by a mile. I think Easy. that Philly is going to have to double him. Now, I have been stressing this. You have to double CeeDee Lamb. Dak is going to look for him on probably half of his dropbacks. And if you let him get into a rhythm with CeeDee Lamb, you're at their mercy. This secondary can be had. And I think if the Eagles don't stop it early, it's going to be a long week. It's going to be a long night. Now, Jake, I think it's time to do our picks. So who do you have winning our five games? Okay. So for the Rams, Ravens, I'm going to stick with the Ravens. But, oh, dude, if the Rams win this, I could see it. It's, there's not a lot of possibility there, but it could happen. But Ravens are my pick for that. I think the Colts are going to edge out the Bengals, but that Bengals team is fighting hard. So it's kind of a 50-50, but I'm going to take the Colts. And for the Eagles and Cowboys, I'm going to take the Cowboys in this game. I think if the Eagles win, high possibility. But I think Cowboys have a lot of tape study and a lot of vengeance to try to take that first seat. And try to take the division seat from the Eagles. Now, with Seattle and the Niners, I would love to take Seattle, but I just don't see much realm of possibility where they beat this team that is the 49ers and they're a juggernaut on both sides of the ball. The so 49ers are my pick for that game. And for the Bills and Chiefs, if the Bills had a fully healthy defense, I would take them in this game. 
but they don't have a fully healthy defense. Far from it. So I'm picking the Chiefs to win that game. Alrighty, Colts, Ravens, Niners, Chiefs, Cowboys. So Jake, for my picks, I am going to take the Bengals. I think that Jake Browning, I don't think he will have the game that we saw on Monday night this past past, uh, week, but I do think that he is able to play complimentary enough football with that Luana Rumo defense, and I think Jamar Chase goes for another big game. Give me Cincinnati over the Colts. Now, Rams-Ravens, I think it could get out of hand very early. Give me the Ravens over the over the Rams. Seahawks-Niners, again, I would love to pick my Seahawks, but I'm not going to be a homer. I'm going to pick with my head over my heart. I will take San Francisco in a game that could come down to the wire, but ultimately, San Fran pulls away from it. I'm going to take the Bills over the Chiefs because I think that this Joe Brady offense has unlocked something with Josh Allen. Give me Buffalo to upset Kansas City, who has wide receiver concerns that I don't think they can fix. And I am, I'm going to vomit in my mouth when I say this. I am going to take the Cowboys to upset the Eagles. Now, they are favored, but I do think that the Cowboys are the underdog heading into this. And it's hard to beat a team twice. I think the Cowboys and how Dak is playing, they are unbeaten at home this year. And I think that if it gets into a high-scoring game, you have to favor Dallas and their offense at this state over Philadelphia and their current state. But Jake, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow us on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.